Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B, SaaS, and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics Measure Up podcast. Today, we're joined by Brian Bellinger from XAAS Pricing and Technology Business Research. Today, we'll be covering three main topics with Brian. First, the strategic importance of pricing models in the SaaS and cloud industry. Second, pricing trends, really pricing model trends in B2B SaaS and cloud. And third, usage-based pricing. Overhyped or a strategic lever? Brian, please take a moment to give a brief background of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Sure. And thanks so much, Ray, for having me. Really excited to be here. So I, I've been with a firm called Technology Business Research, who is a kind of hardcore technology benchmarking and research provider for the past 10 years. And most of that time I've spent doing large, complex, competitive and market price benchmarking exercises across technology domain. So I've been rooted in in data broadly, and then specifically in pricing data on behalf of large and mid-market technology companies, really since I, I started my career. And so we're, we're doing some things with X as a service pricing to take that to the next level in the SaaS and anything as a service markets more broadly and really invested in data at the core of what we're doing around benchmarking and pricing and trying to bring it to a much broader audience at scale. And so I live, breathe every day, price benchmarking. And so um, that's all about metrics, of course. You know, I first heard about you because I saw the X as a service pricing kind of post you made on LinkedIn. So it's really excited to invite you to be a guest here on the Metrics to Measure in a podcast. So let's start at the beginning. So you've got all this experience at your company kind of doing pricing benchmarks, and then you decided to launch X as a service pricing to capture and publish more detailed pricing benchmarks. What was the catalyst to launch this new, almost separate initiative within your current company? There's a lot of them, some personal, some related to the market. But as I mentioned, we've done hundreds and hundreds of these projects. They're typically what you think of when you think of doing pricing consulting, large, intensive, three months, four months in duration, carry a big price tag for the client. And those have been really fun. And I've done that for years and years across different markets, I actually started in professional services as my focus and have broadened. But what we found is that those are really only available as a resource to a certain set of kind of large or high growth enterprises in the tech space. And so we were looking at that business, feeling a little bit tired too about doing all of those consulting projects and thinking about how do we bring 80% or even 60% of the repeatable efforts of this to a much broader audience and where can we do that effectively in a high growth market. And so uh, anything as a service is a trend for a reason. It's the direction of most markets that we've covered. There's more pricing availability of information, more transparency across the markets. So we said that's the right market space to focus. 
and we can bring what we've done in consulting to scale through a product-based approach and hopefully help a much broader set of companies and a much kind of earlier stage set of companies with pricing, which we know is a challenge for everybody. And so that's kind of where it sprung out of. Well, let's double click on this kind of pricing benchmarks as a service. What type of insights, kind of what detail are participants going to be able to see? Is it what percentage of people use peer subscription versus usage-based? Or is there more detail into the pricing benchmarks you're going to be publishing? Yeah, sure. So it's definitely has those areas you mentioned, but we tried to be as holistic as possible and there's always places to go deeper. So we look at uh, just over 50 or so metrics across broad categories would be packaging strategy, pricing strategy, and then price levels and discounting themselves. And even things like pricing page design and structure trial versus freemium experience as well. So each has its own offshoot of submetrics, but trying to take a broad cut across kind of everything that can be benchmarked and indexed and compared as it relates to a, a packaging pricing strategy. And then going deep, both on quantitative and qualitative topics within that. Things like what is your pricing model? What are the usage metrics that define your offering? How are you metering? And then the price points and and the discount levels themselves. Yeah, let's double click into the price point because I've sat in many executive conference rooms coming up with our pricing, right? We knew the pricing model. Let's say it was per user, right? On an annual subscription basis. But then it's like, do we charge $100? Do we charge $1,000? Honestly, in this B2B SaaS and cloud industry, Brian, how much price elasticity and pricing research is really done to understand that optimal price point? I think it probably depends on on who you're talking about. I think generally speaking, and there's good stuff out there from ProfitWell and others to say that everyone's not doing as much as, as they could or should. There's that stat that's often cited about, what is it, less than a day uh, that the typical company spends in a year on pricing, usually look at it yearly. So I think it's much less than it should be. And then I think of some of the, the customers we're trying to serve, like founders and early stage companies who it's just another in the 100, 200 long itemized to-do list that they have to figure out while they're playing Mr. Developer or Mr. and Mrs. Developer or marketer as well. So I think some, and there's folks that are really good at it and vendors that are really good at supporting it, but generally and broadly speaking, I think it's more higher level from a research perspective still, and um, still a a bit of a gut feel exercise and a a CEO passion project a a lot of times. Okay, let me just zoom up a little bit because subscription pricing models are the hallmark of the SaaS industry, right? Since the beginning, I mean, investors loved it because they knew if you had, you know, 20 million of contracted ARR, they knew how much revenue you could generate over the next 12 months or 24 months. But in today's world, we're seeing all different types of pricing models within the B2B SaaS cloud industry. So do you think subscription pricing is a relic of the past or... Do you think it's still an important pricing construct? Our data certainly tells us that it's still a very relevant and important construct. And I I tend to think the same way. I think the nature of what is a subscription and how is it defined and structured is changing. But we see in our our data set something like 80-85% of the products and the the additions of those products that are covered are, are still based on a pretty typical subscription. There's stuff that makes me laugh out there about Uh, how subscriptions are taking over and ruining our lives, some of the Reddit talk. And I think there's a 
a warranted discussion there about how subscriptions can be better and how can they be more effectively structured. Um, there's some interesting things, not only in the usage-based space, but things like what startups, a lot of startups using AppSumo or other deal um, marketplaces are doing around kind of going back to perpetual deals in some sense with lifetime deals. And we, we wrote a piece on that, but I, I do think the cornerstone is still a, a pretty typical subscription as we think of it. And it's about kind of getting that right within that construct. That will be the point of evolution, at least here in the, in the uh, visible near term. And wait a minute, you're telling me I can't use Reddit to determine my price strategy? It's where I learned how to buy GameStop and AMC last year. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, Reddit, the RSAS community is vibrant and it's really insightful. And there's we found a lot of value in it, but it, this was not in that community. So, so can't speak to the commenter. And, and there, I think there's some merit maybe to how subscriptions are intervening in our day-to-day lives. But yeah, I'd say social media, as always, take it with a healthy dose of caution, but definitely dive into the SaaS portions of, of Reddit. Hey, I love that you said that over 80% of SaaS companies are still using a subscription model as their primary kind of pricing and agreement model. But let's talk about the trendy new topic. It's everywhere. Usage-based pricing, also known as consumption-based pricing. Everyone's talking about it. If you look at some of the high flyers, and I don't know if I can use the word high flyers in May 22 for cloud right. companies anymore, but you know the, the Twilio's and the Datadogs and, of course, Snowflake, they have 140, 150%, 160% net dollar retention. And a lot of that's because they have usage-based pricing. Mm-hmm. So- what do you think, Brian? Usage-based pricing, trendy fad or here to stay? I think it's here to stay in a form. And so it's interesting timing to have this conversation. We have a piece coming out real soon in the next couple of weeks in partnership with another, another watcher of this space, another provider of SaaS research and data. And that's looking at a subset of our data set, 125 high growth PLG companies, you'd think this is the cohort that is the kind of the torchbearers of usage-based pricing and out on the forefront of that. And perhaps it's based on the cohort, but what we see is that a per seat pricing model structured as a subscription reigns for the near majority of that group. Just under 50% of those companies in that cohort are using a seat-based model and they're introducing usage through the way that they structure their tiers of their different plans of their offerings. Almost three quarters are are introducing usage limiting and metering and how they structure their tiers, but not much less introducing it directly as a pricing model under 10% are doing that. So I think it's here to stay, but I think it's some of those, those use cases or those case studies rather that you mentioned are the exception versus the rule for most companies. And I think most will tread uh, slowly into the space with either introducing usage through a tiering strategy or flex or overage pricing, or those kind of mixed or hybrid models versus going whole in on a usage-based, pure usage-based pricing strategy. So let me, for our listening audience, kind of see if I capture that. So you're saying greater than 50% of companies that have a usage-based pricing component still are using a subscription model to get minimum commitments or possible increase the tier of commitment on an annual basis. So of that, and this is, again, just that specific cohort, but there's just under 50% that are not pricing on a usage-based pricing model. They may have usage within their tiers, but you're still paying a committed $10 per seat per month. And they may say for that plan, you get up to 
five gigabytes of storage, but it, it's still primarily a, a seat-based model. Under 10% are using a, a pure UBP model where they're pricing, say, per gigabyte or uh, per message sent or, or something like that. So a, a tendency toward traditional seat-based and other subscription models, and then introducing usage through other means. Got it. So it's I call that a hybrid model where there's a seat subscription plus usage tiers above it. Yep. Brian, that sounds like my cell phone billing from 10 years ago. <laughs> and we saw that they ultimately said, okay, people hate these 100-minute plans or 500-minute plans, and I get charged overage. So we went to this all-you-can-eat. Don't you think that's what's going to happen in SaaS too? I think over time, it's hard to project like the trajectory and the when. Certainly, I think more is better where it makes sense. But I think hybrid is going to rule the world as it does in a lot of things. A pure per seat model probably doesn't make a lot of sense long term for a lot of companies. Some, it certainly does. But the rule of thumb there is, are you offering differentiated value for every user? And then you should charge on those users. If not, you ought to think about a different way of defining the core metric that delivers value. So I think a lot of companies will be stuck between the rock and the hard place of predictability and subscription revenue and who they have to answer to in those regards and what customers, depending on what their target customers are. And then also trying to introduce more of those consumption-based models. And I think where we'll land is a lot of hybrid hedging, so to speak, in terms of what that looks like, at least here in the near term. And then hopefully there's there's more proven use cases across different categories that nudge companies to go further and explore further and yeah. trial and experiment. And I think part of that is maybe the tools that are available to experiment more uh, agilely with some of these changes as well. I love something you said. If you have a user-specific differentiated experience, maybe continue to have this subscription based upon a user. Mm-hmm. One of the things I've done in the past is where I had an annual subscription for platform, right? Just for the platform, just to have it. And then you'd have usage-based tiers above that. But we went away from a per user just to having the platform in place. And maybe we tiered that based upon size of company, whether that was number of employees or revenue. Mm-hmm. But let me go back to usage-based pricing because in a former life, I did a hybrid model. I had a subscription for the platform, and then I had consumption-based pricing levers. And sometimes I'd have two. And it was amazing at the beginning because it was a lower friction to get those enterprise customers in the door. If they were growing or if their usage was really growing, I'd have that 130, 140, 150% net dollar retention. That euphoria ended after two to three years because a lot of our Fortune 1000 customers said, hey, Ray, Man, we blew away our budget. We had budgeted five hundred thousand. We spent one point eight million. My CFO is really pissed off. So we right. need to either have some way to have unlimited usage for that tier level, or we're going to have to look at maybe even bringing this in house so we can have a more predictable budget for this utilization. What do you think about that overage risk over time? Yeah, it's definitely there, and I think there's a couple ways out of that. One is we still see. Uh, I wish I had the data in front of me because we went through our data set and parsed out the percentage where we saw a plan named enterprise and how that correlated to whether it's actually priced on the the pricing page or not. And I don't have the exact percentage, but at very high incidence, there are companies offering、uh, still doing that enterprise plan. Contact us. 
uh, more traditional motion, even if they're introducing one of these hybrid models that we've been talking about. And oftentimes we do see that's a kind of an unlimited usage across most usage characteristics type of structure. The other is about data. I think others have said this to a broader audience than I, but the ability to, through some of the tools that are coming available to kind of manage an end-to-end usage-based pricing strategy and capture the data needed to understand usage are becoming better and better. And that's something where Being able to see that across the landscape of customers allows you to make better decisions in terms of how to adjust pricing and the packaging to accommodate those scenarios and to not provide an unwelcome surprise to a certain set of customers and then being able to segment plans to those customers appropriately. And so I think those are kind of two things we see. I think that enterprise contact us unlimited option is something that still hangs there for that type of scenario pretty typically as well. I'll tell you the other real challenge for usage-based pricing, and this wasn't supposed to be a usage-based pricing episode, but we're talking (laughs) a lot about it, but man, forecasting becomes so much more of a challenge because macroeconomic, geopolitical, you know, secular trends, you can be at 150% net dollar retention one accounting period, and the next period you're at 105, and it's not because you have churn, it's just that that customer cohort is using your product less. So I think it really creates real forecasting challenges. Yep. No, completely agree. And I think that's one of the, going back to my, we're going to live in a hybrid world. I think that's part of it is the ability to forecast on that side and then predictability of budget on on the other side. Well, this is the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. So let's talk about metrics. So the traditional, easy to understand subscription annual agreement based upon users, you know, we have these metrics that look at our efficiency, whether that's our customer acquisition cost payback period, customer lifetime value, and of course, gross dollar and net dollar retention. But some of these hybrid models and more consumption-based models, I think it makes some of these traditional metrics less relevant or at least less predictive. So how do you see traditional SaaS metrics evolving as pricing models evolve and become more hybrid? I always point to OpenView as the master of metrics on on this topic. I'd point in that direction for what the data says. They do their their report, um, and it's pretty clear that the cohort they're looking at shows that over their typical SaaS index uh, usage-based strategy, and you mentioned some of the the big players that would be in that cohort of the usage-based leaders are seeing stronger metrics across, and we've we've talked about that throughout. I think there's a few considerations for me, and, and you hit on one. One is making sure that when we think about benchmarking uh, for usage base, we're not lumping all SaaS and all usage base into one category, because I think the cohort can distort the picture, particularly for what we see on the incidence of the amount of companies in any given category doing usage base versus not pulling out uh, best in class case study examples and then building a, a set of metrics to show that their net dollar retention is 10 points better or whatever metric is fair, but is also not a, a way that's very relevant to me if I'm a, a startup founder in the e-commerce SaaS space. So that's that's one consideration, but I always point to their metrics to say, Basically, if you can do it right, it is going to benefit you. I, I think the other thing that you hit on, which is of interest to me, and it's something we, we as we keep going with our platform, plan to build correlations and, and track is how does the trajectory of pricing model strategy in the industry change the metrics 
that matter and, and does it. And, and so I, I don't know that I have a, a good answer on that other than a hypothesis that we'll see that. So I think it's kind of a, a caution about benchmarking on that topic and making sure you're you're putting yourself in the right category cohort and then thinking about what metrics matter relative to your your pricing strategy would be the other. It's interesting. You mentioned OpenView. I'm a big fan of both Kyle over there and also the work that Sam's been doing on their product-led growth and usage-based pricing research. Um, I'm also excited to announce that we just did some great product-led research with Gainsight in the product-led group, West Bush out of Canada, and found some really interesting evolving benchmarks, things like the activation rate or conversion rate for product qualified Mm -hmm. leads. So Mm -hmm. I'd encourage everyone to check out the Gainsight and um, RevOps Squared and product-led benchmarks also. So Brian... Unfortunately, we're coming to the end of this episode already, and I could talk forever to you about this, but let's give our listening audience the chance to get to know you a little bit better through three quick rapid-fire questions, okay? Yeah, let's do it. Which CEO or company do you think is a must-follow for SaaS executives in 2022? I could name a lot, but the one that comes to mind that's really helped me in founder mindset mode. And I really appreciate his thinking, not only on all things building a SaaS business, but how to be a creator and think about building your life as a business is Nathan Barry, the the CEO of ConvertKit. Um, So I definitely recommend anything that he publishes or following him on social media. Nathan Barry. Okay. So what tool, not your own, should every SaaS company be using today? It's funny, we talked about Reddit because I was going to maybe take us in that direction, but two for me. One, I've just found the reason we're doing this podcast, for example, is through a relationship on LinkedIn. And I've just found LinkedIn to be an invaluable tool as far as building relationships, being new to a space or bringing a new product to a space, being able to, to share content, collaborate and have these types of conversations. I think it's it's easy to take social media or LinkedIn and position it as a promotional tool or something to be discounted, but uh, that would be one. And then I'd, I'd hat tip to Calendly just for being able to take that to the next step and then schedule and actually get FaceTime with the people that you're connecting with. Two great pieces of advice. I tell you, LinkedIn has really become a great tool for creators who want to share their experience and insights to help the overall business ecosystem. I love that one. And calendar changes your life from scheduling. Totally agree. And third, what advice would you give to a recent college graduate or someone who's just getting ready to graduate here in May or June that wants to get in the B2B SaaS industry? What's your advice or recommendations to them? I'll give the advice I can give, which is based on my my career path, which is you can learn a lot and have a lot of high value conversations by being someone on whether it's the analyst side of the aisle or a consulting side of the aisle or an in-house analyst, something that gets you unbiased, um, but something that gets you reading, chewing on data, being able to talk to people who have been through it for years and then digesting all that and writing about it, making presentations about it really sets you up well. And in my opinion, to then go and be a practitioner yourself. So I think for me, going back to back when I started to jump off graduation and right into a role on a team would have been a little daunting, but being able to learn the industry, analyze, do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interview conversations for our research really set me up well to then dive into the world more fully. So um, I always say be a sponge first. And I think that's a good way to think about that career path 
if it's something you're interested in doing. Brian, that's I've never had any of our guests recommend kind of starting on the consulting or analyst side, but that's really smart because I think a lot of the people who I know have been really successful, they started even as an analyst in the investment banking world. Mm-hmm. And because they saw so many deals coming over the desk, they had to model them out. They saw the performance metrics. They became amazing kind of SaaS leaders or CFOs because they really yeah. understood how the financial performance metrics impacted company trajectory. Yep. Great, great advice. So Brian, for our listening audience, if they want to kind of follow you and reach out to you, what's the best contact information? Yeah, so you send me an email directly. I'd love to hear from anyone. It's brian at xaaspricing.com or primarily spending my social media time on, on LinkedIn. So I'm easy to find there, Brian Bellinger or at xaaspricing. Well, that was Brian Bellinger, who's in charge of XASS Pricing. And really appreciate you being a guest on the Metrics That Major Up podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. I really appreciate you having me, Ray. To our listening audience, it would mean the world to us. If you're finding value from the content and guests that we host here, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast, Metrics That Major Up, in your favorite podcast app. Provide us that five-star rating and provide us a review, a recommendation, how we can make this show even better for you. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. And Brian, thank you again for being our guest. Thanks again, Ray. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.